Welcome to another edition of the Look at Talk podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you watching this on YouTube, listen to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're getting your podcasts at. This is another edition of the Look at Talk podcast. I'm your man, Victor. And today we have a music round. Joining me today, he's from the What the Hell Are You Doing podcast. You may have heard him earlier this year, you know what I'm saying? Him and Erica did. They had an awesome time, you know what I'm saying? So it's my man Kujo talking to me about his music today. How you doing, my man? I am doing excellent. That's it. Yes, that's what's up, man. How's November treating you so far? Uh, November is treating me pretty, pretty well. I'm getting ready to wrap up something called The 15 is the Theme. 15 songs over 15 weeks. Uh, the final one actually ends the week of November 15th, so it's wow. all apropos. Wow, talk to me about that. So what made you decide to drop 15 songs in 15 weeks? Uh, there's So this round was a follow-up to the last round, which is 2019's version. 2019, there was a lot going on. There was a lot that I was coming out of dealing with and everything like that. And I just said, like, it's time to really, like, hyper-focus on what we got. A lot of memes and a lot of posts uh, dedicated to artists were saying, yo, just, just drop the music. We ain't worried about how it sounds. We ain't worried about how it goes. Just drop the music. And so I started dropping music and, I, and then, you know, the 15 of the, the 15 is a theme became the idea for that. That's real. That's real. that's real. That's real. That's that's a dope concept. You know what I'm saying? I'm glad you were one artist that actually listened to your people. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, but some artists, they, they really don't listen. They'll just drop whole albums and just disappear, if you will. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't. The consistency is very, very important to me. So tell me, how has 2020 been to you so far? Because if you like me and everybody else, you're like, you're ready to be done with 2020. But how's it been for you? I was hoping the summer would last a little bit longer. The summer kind of came and went, especially once the second round of the 15 started. Once 15 is the theme, 2020 started. It was like the summer was here and then it was gone. Um, but the 2020 has actually treated me fairly well. Obviously, it got off to a pretty bumpy start. Actually, got off to a great start. I, I'm, Right up until March, it was great. And then April, May hit. And then May, right at May 18th, I consider that day like my second birthday. May 18th hit, and then everything started going right back up again. So, I mean, it was, yeah, like I said, it had that bump when Corona decided to smack everybody. But other yeah. than that, since then, it's been great for me. So we claiming two birthdays now. So why are you claiming two birthdays? <laughs> So I spent my whole life living a certain way. So I lived my whole life a certain, I guess, a kind of archetype of guy. And living on my own in Ohio, uh, especially when the coronavirus hit, I had to come to certain realizations of, you know, who I need to be if I want to get somewhere of any kind of relevancy in this world. May 18th was the day that I decided I was going to start the journey to do that. I was going to have to start taking a very introspective look at everything in my life from, I mean, as from my earliest memories, like almost like therapy sessions, I have to take very introspective looks at early memories, see how I interacted with other people and then build from there and kind of like work from there and see all the different times, you know, my first time interacting with women, my first time interacting with guys, my first time interacting with being a leader, opportunities for being a leader, how I handled it, all that different stuff and to see and to really take take charge and take hold of those those moments again and see you know where I may have screwed up and so I consider it my second birthday and I, you know since then I've kind of like a I mean I feel like a new person so yeah it is what it is. 
you know what? I'm gonna have to do that second birthday too. But the only thing is, <laughs> yeah, my second birthday is gonna be the anniversary of Look Talk. The day I started. There you go. <laughs> it was in August, so I'm, I'm gonna have to claim that second birthday up. But I feel you as well. Right. So I see that you started uh, writing when you were 11. Talk to me about that, because most 11 year olds. Men, they're guys that are like in the sports and the video games stuff. But my man right here was writing. Talk to me about that passion. How did that get started? So I'm going to start with, I guess, there was a song playing. There was a Luther Vandross song playing. And I can't, I don't think it was Dan. It might have been Dance With My Father. I don't know. But then Ruben Stutter got on American Idol. And by this point, I think, what is that? This, maybe the second season? I doubt that was the first season. But regardless, one of those seasons where Ruben Stutter was there, it inspired me to start writing singing songs. The challenge, the biggest challenge I started running into was how am I supposed to remember the notes? I didn't know music theory. I didn't even understand the concept of music theory. Um, I didn't even know music theory, I think at that time was even a word. So uh, there was no way for me to memorize the notes that I would be singing, but the words itself was was already getting me that jump start, understanding why I'm even writing the notes, why I'm singing in the first place. And so, yeah, at 11 years old, it just it just made sense to just start writing. Um, it's funny because I only wrote maybe three or four songs until 2004. So, mm, wow. So, so on from that point on, you just started just writing music and just, and you just said, this is what I really want to do. So what made you say, I want to pursue music? That was when that was in 2004, my best friend nudged me on the shoulder, my, like, casually it was so it was way too casual like i guess people say moments are too good to be true this was not one of those moments it was exactly what it was exactly as good as true as it was if that makes sense it was as good as it was true um he nudged me on the shoulder i'm looking at him like are you sure not not in kind of like a condescending way like i don't believe we can do it it was just there's a lot of work that goes into it being that i already know what it takes to write a song and from that point forward, it just, we were in a drama class and we, uh, uh, we ended up writing to, I think it was, at that time it was Headsprung Instrumental with LL Cool J, that song Headsprung. So we wrote to, we rewrote to that and uh, we basically covered that track and I jumped on stage for the first time and I said, I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down. Well, of course, yes, I have to come down physically. I'm not, I'm, I'm going back up there again. Like I got to do that again. And so that was it, 2004. Wow, so you just got that rush of one performance and you like, I want I want to continue to do this, you know. Exactly. That I think that's what a lot of artists get, you know what I'm saying? They get that rush of being performance and they just, you know, they just kill it, you know what I'm saying? So what do you say to artists who have stage fright or have anxiety from getting up on stage? There's so many different things. The only thing I could personally recommend is you have to stop and figure out what works for you. You have to, you have to kind of lose yourself in that moment. And I know some people might get a little creeped out when you say that, but it's true. You kind of have to, you, you pretty much have to lose yourself in that moment. I was not, I won't say I wasn't myself. I was not only myself, but I wasn't a full, like super Saiyan version of myself that night. And in order to get to that place, I have to understand that these people came here to see a show and I'm an exciting person. I'm a high energy, exciting person. I have to basically embody that on stage. And so you're just taking almost an exaggerated form of yourself and putting it on the stage. For someone with stage fright, I mean, the one thing that everybody says is pitch everybody naked, but I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that, that works. Cause then you might picture yourself naked first and then you get stuck forgetting the picture of them naked. So I don't know, it, I've, it, it's so many different things. It's just 
I would say you have to lose yourself in that moment. You're, you have to take who you are as a person and dial it up to like 10 and bring it up on stage. That's real. That's real, ladies and gentlemen. This is Liquor Talk. The more liquor you drink, the better this podcast sounds. Thank you all for joining me. Now, let's let's touch on, on the podcast for a minute. What the hell are you doing, podcast? What made you decide to hop on it with Erica when Erica pitched the idea to you? That was probably the same nudge me on the shoulder friend that was coming back again. Somebody that believed in my talent, somebody that believed in my skill set and said, you know, this this would be the perfect opportunity for you. As men, we require like a, a sense of responsibility. Like, like we kind of we kind of die without a sense of responsibility, at least a little bit on the inside. We slowly die. Think of like a diabetic. But in this case, without responsibility, you're slowly dying because you don't, you know, somebody's slowly taking oxygen from you. You're slowly dying. You're not quite dying quickly. You're dying slowly. Um, and so this is what it felt like. You know, not to say she was, I was dying slowly, but she's giving me that life back. She's putting, you know, maybe at that time, I think it was actually right after May 18th. So right after my second birthday, if you will, um, I have like this moment where she DMs me and I'm looking at the phone like, is she serious about this? And so we kick it off. From, it just, I mean, at that point, it just kind of started snowballing. All of a sudden we get, we're signing up for Anchor. All of a sudden we got guests. And then the show starts and I'm editing and I'm doing this and she's handling, you know, all the things that she's handling. So it was, it was ideal. It was, it, it, and then it kind of it meshed. It was ideal. That's real. So how's that podcast um, experience been for you? I know y'all just, I know I had talked to y'all a while ago. Y'all were just getting started. So how's it been since? Smooth so far, smooth. Um, as far for, at least from my perspective, I know with her, she's got a lot of um, perspectives and a lot of things going on outside. Now that I'm, I actually picked up myself another day job and everything like that. And so now it's like, it's, it's gonna kind of put a strain on availability, but I think that we're still, we're still doing pretty well. So she actually just got finished Listen, with Words to the wise, I, I know that feeling of getting another job and also, <laughs> you know, trying to do your podcast. Listen, that podcast come first, you know, you gotta, you gotta find time to squeeze it in, you know what I'm saying? Because exactly. The day job, they can, they can, they'll place you tomorrow if somebody, die, if you to die. So you, you'll be all right, but you gotta pursue your passion first. So it's like, trust me, I know, I know how that feels, you know what I'm saying? Having to, having to juggle your day job and your podcast. I, I know how that feels and it, it cost me some co-hosts, it cost me some people, but I know, I trust, trust and believe, I know how you feel it. And it's like, I will say the, the quarantine and also networking with other people, that's what really helped jumpstart it. So, you know what I'm saying? Right. Can't, can't let that just, oh, I have a day job be the reason you don't do the podcast, you know? Exactly. Cause it's like, like I said though, cause we gotta, gotta do this thing. You have a voice, people wanna hear that voice, you know what I'm saying? So getting back to your music, take me through your creative process. How do you like come up with the songs you gonna produce and how do you write all that stuff? What is your creative it, process like? It pretty much varies from song to song. Sometimes the beat comes first and because I can make my own beat, uh, the beat will come first. I'll lay down. I'll lay down at least the skeleton of the beat. So just the bare bones. You probably get a couple drums, maybe a couple, you know, keys and everything like that. You know, just to draw out the melody. Um, and then the words might come after. Sometimes the words come first. And depending on where I am, that gets tough because I have to record the melody or the cadence of that of that word. So for example, I had a track picked up my lessons and carried my blessings. 
she knows she know who she messes. She just wants to rest on the line. I'll be pressing that cadence is going to be kind of hard to remember off the bat because sometimes if I freestyle, I'll go into different flows. And I'm, and if I get into, let's say, my third flow, that first flow might get forgotten. So it's it's a lot, it's very important sometimes that I have something like on my phone. I'll just pull it out and I'll record it. Then I'll write down the lyrics and say reference this recording. And so right there in the phone, it varies moment to moment. If I know I come to the studio and um, we're just kind of working from scratch, I think the beat will. I think the lyrics will come because the beat is kind of already assumed by the time I get to the studio. So different different processes, different songs. Just just simply depends. That's real. So how would you describe the music you create? If nobody has heard your music for the first time ever, how would you describe your music to someone who has never heard of you and you want them to listen to your music? Motivational. It's, it's elevating and motivational. That's, that's the top two things that I would, that I would say my music is. Uh, it's, very, it's very bouncy. Somebody called it bouncy. And since then, I've kind of been using that. I was like, okay, I got a bouncy little flow. And it, yeah, it's very bouncy, especially because of the way I, I, I value my kicks in, in my songs. And so the way that I treat my kicks, it gives the song a lot of bounce. It, it, like, I, by, the time, by the time the first five seconds hit, you're already, depending on the song, you're already like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And so bouncy, motivational, elevating. Okay, that's real. That's real. So tell me this, who are some of your musical influences growing up? Like, who did you like hear, hear from when you were growing up? And you're like, wow, I want to make music like them. Kanye West, hands down. I don't even, I, Graduation is still my favorite album of all time, along with maybe like a couple Kendrick Lamar albums, but Kanye West growing up. Um, I, obviously my old school LL Cool J and then um, who else was I listening to? I always, I always draw blanks when people ask me like this. And so between LL Cool J, Kanye West, Eminem, those were like the early ones. And my most recent ones have been Lupe Fiasco, Kendrick Lamar, and um, and uh, if you remember Q-Tip, he's he's been a very, like he came out recently, even though like he's from the 90s and I should have like known of him uh, more than, more familiar than I do now. He's, a, he's somebody that came up recently, but primarily because of a song I made. So <laughs> paying homage to him. That's what's up. That's what's up. I love that. Love paying homage to you. So now if any artist um, were to perform and they have a live show, what artist would you want to open for and why? That would be who has it'd be Busta Rhymes or Kendrick right now or obviously Kanye West. The, I would open up for Busta Rhymes because we match energies like we as a matter of fact, he's one of the people I was, he's one, actually I saw put your hands on my eyes because he was the first rap video I ever saw. So I guess you could say the, the type of person I was about to be was probably because of him. Um, seeing his wackiness on, on, in the video like that, seeing that high energy. Uh, and then of course, now that I'm the artist I am, I can appreciate the flows he brought to, that, to, to his music and to, to his style. Yeah, I have to open for him. I'd have to open for him, like I said, Kendrick, and then, you know, artists of the like. That's real. That's real. So did you hear Buster's new song with Kendrick Lamar? Um, with I the Michael, did. Michael Jackson? just heard that last night. It was great. It was nice. That's it was a little was more chill good. than I expected. It, it was very chill. I was listening to it today. I was like, wow, this this has a very chill feeling to it. I never thought mm -hmm. I would get that from Buster because right. for years I remember Buster had that upbeat, upbeat, exactly. get, you hype, get you hype, get you ready to snap, get you you know ready, you know? That touch it, always touch it uh, with by him was always on 10. Like I don't care what I was listening to before. I could have been on one. I'd be risking deafness that day or, or hearing loss. That, that song goes up to a 10. <laughs> 
That's real. That's real. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Liquor Talk. Go ahead and pour that drink if you haven't done so already, because remember, the more drink, the more drinks you have, the better this podcast sounds. Now, let's talk about the music industry right now. How, where do you feel like the music industry is right now from what you're seeing? Do you think it's at a good place or where do you feel like it needs to improve? From my perspective, oversaturation is, is where I stand on that. Like I can see like it's saturated. And so what's going to happen is you're going to have specific types of artists. It's going to turn into like a tribe. It's just going to turn into, you know, where, where artists are not really treated like anything more than just someone who makes music rather than like what, what they were before. Obviously, like idols and superstars. I don't quite believe you're going to get superstars anymore, or at least the idea of a superstar is going to become highly diminished. Um, and that's primarily due to the fact that everybody, their little sister and their dog can all make music. If you notice, dogs now are playing like the piano and stuff. And along yeah, with the cat. I, I see the little cat videos on you. Exactly. Yeah, cats, dogs, everybody and their brother and sister making music. So it's going to be very, I think, I think oversaturation is an issue. But again, this means that you're going to always have a dedicated group of people getting behind your music. And that is a very hopeful concept to me. That's real. That's real. So what do you think of the idea of people? It's, it's still 2020 and we're about to be in 2021. What do you think of the idea of people signing to record labels, knowing what record labels can do to your future? And you still seeing some people still signing with them, exactly. knowing what the hell them record labels can just destroy your future. They, um, to the best way to respond to that, know thyself know thyself if you know like for example if you know you've been doing music for x amount of time you've taken up marketing you know firms and these marketing firms are not doing anything for your career or even despite having the marketing firms your career isn't going anywhere it would make it no one should blame you or no one should be upset with you if you decide to sign but if you're someone like a me like I haven't signed on with marketing firms yet. So I don't know if I can hold in my own water. And I'm pretty sure because of the type of people and the type of um, fans that are out there, I can almost surmise that once I get the right marketing behind me, I'm, I'm off to the races. There's a song that I recently released called Evil Eye. I don't know where we'd be able to link that to the people, but um, if you go to Cujo The Excellence, C-U-D-J-O-E, the excellence on youtube you'll check out the track evil eye that has a lot of potential and it has it has a lot of potential to help my career launch and so therefore right now at this juncture for my career there's no reason to sign for someone else they might have been in the game for as long as i have and despite having all the money and marketing they can't get anywhere they can't get anything substantial from it a label will probably be the best option so what do you think about labels that sign artists but don't really do anything for them? Because I've heard stories where they are labels have just had artists just sitting there, not really work with them or not trying to give them a push or nothing. It sucks. It's, it's terrible because now you've taken on, basically you, take, you took on a debt. When you sign with a label, typically you're going to um, sign to uh, maybe a demo deal or an X amount of album deal, maybe an X, a X amount of time deal. And you're gonna, you're, you're locked into that for the duration of the contract. And um, ideally, by the end of it, if you can't pay, you still owe that money. Like you still owe that money. And then how, and you know, if you didn't get any prevalence to your name, if you book a show and every time you book a show, it's only, let's say 2% of the actual debt you owe. Say somebody owes 2 million, you go to a show, you're only making 200. You know what I mean? That's a lot of shows you're gonna, I mean, hopefully you can book that many shows Relatively speaking, it's not as much, but it's still quite a lot of shows as opposed to somebody who can make a, make, you know, 500,000 in one show 
um, after they get done with a label. So them not doing anything with you really kind of, it diminishes exactly what I was saying before. If you didn't, if you didn't know thyself, if you didn't know what you were capable of going into that deal, you kind of screw it, especially after you sign and then they didn't do anything with you that defeats the whole purpose of signing in the first place. Yes, that's real. So can you explain to the artists out there the importance of their masters? Because what I'm seeing is stories of artists, they they sign away their masters, but then later in their career, they realize the importance of them. And then they try and back, buy them back. And then you have record cut labels not willing to give up their masters. I just finished um, an album with sync licensing. Sync licensing is the process by which you take your music and you um, you pitch it to uh, music libraries. These music libraries probably work with companies like ABC, CNN, stuff like that. Your music will show up behind, obviously, Netflix and movies and such. Your music will show up in that movie. It will show up on that show. It will show up in between maybe a commercial or something like that. Your masters for a track goes, if you, have, if you own those masters, you can take that and pitch it to one of these libraries. This now gives you, obviously, an added stream of income. If you don't own your masters or you don't own the exclusive rights to your masters, which is essentially what people mean when they say that, if you don't own the exclusive rights, you're done. Like you can't do, you can't make any deals with that song. Let's say for example, my song Evil Eye. I currently am in process of owning the exclusive license to that song. So once I get the exclusive license, I can use that beat wherever I can use aspects of that beat. I can chop up the beat. I can do whatever I want with it. I own the exclusive rights. I don't, this is why I make my own beats in the first place, because I don't like having to deal with the process of who owns the rights, who owns exclusive, who owns this, who owns that. Right now, there's a song I have to release called Ranger Power. Implied by the name, I have to use that flute that the Green Ranger was using. I don't know who owns the rights to that instrument, so I have to risk being sued when I blow up because I don't know who owns the rights and I've already tried to look, can't find it, so. That's real, so. Why do you feel like young artists are just known for selling the rights to their masters? The, the lack of understanding. You said young artists, right? Yeah. Not, full, not, not a full understanding. I didn't even have an understanding. I started recording my own masters in 2010, not even realizing that I'm making so much value with the music. <laughs> I didn't realize, like, I'm basically creating a gold mine, and all I need to do is have the right network with the right people for it to turn into, for it to actually create value for itself. So it's, it's as if I have a whole uh, vault full of gold, and no one knows I have it, and I have no idea what to do with it. And that was 2010, well, up until only recently when I started realizing. Oh yeah, having your masters means you get to pitch this song anywhere. Owning the masters, owning exclusive rights, you get to pitch this song anywhere. And so, yeah. So what do you think is going to happen when a lot of mainstream artists just like break free from the record labels and just go solo by themselves? Because I'm starting to see it's like a lot like Young Dolph, he's been doing it straight without a, um, a record label. That's just one example, but I'm pretty sure there's countless others. What do you think is going to happen when a lot of mainstream artists just say forget these record labels? Jonah Lucas is another artist I think that comes to mind when uh, when I think about independent. I think the only time people like him, a guy like Russ, they all sign with a label only when it benefits them, only when it stands to you know when it when it operates like you, you maybe you go work for Amazon, uh, like like I work currently for Amazon, like uh, you go work for them. And you understand, you go in with the option, if I move these boxes, you'll pay me this amount and you take it from there. When you get a mass exodus, 
record labels are going to have no choice but to react reacclimate what they're offering to artists and what they're giving to them and right now because they make too much money they're not ready to do that just yet they make way too much money they keep the streams they keep the they keep again the masters they then probably turn around as the record label and pitch those masters to those very companies I mentioned earlier, those libraries. Oh yeah, they take your masters, your song ends up on somewhere, they keep like 70% or more. And so when artists decide to go independent and operate that same exact way, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to adapt and evolve. Yes, they're gonna have to um, get involved and acclimate because it's like, I don't know about you, I get tired of seeing these stories about artists just getting ripped off and just yes. hosed by these record label companies. And then when the artists realize they've been hosed, they've been finessed <laughs> to get out. It's that's like a, nothing they can get out. That's an accurate depiction. Yeah, that's an accurate, uh, accurate word to use there. So like how did now how do you feel from another artist's perspective? You see somebody you're in the game with, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if you see them as competition or just as another artist, you know. I'm I, right now because of my level of consistency, um, I, I can't afford to see anybody else's competition. You all are my peers. You all are my friends. We if they want to see me as competition, that's fine. But ideally, as a matter of fact, when the 15 ends that same week of November, I have a lot of artists to reach out to because I'll be doing a I'm looking at doing a thousand collabs before the end of 21. So um, as as much collabs as I can get, as much you know songs as I can put my voice on, uh, I've done. Let's see, even four features up to now, and all four features just I sound. I I mean I'm tooting my own horn, but I sound amazing. I sound like I'm ready to be on tracks with other artists and and really adapt to whoever sound I'm I'm, I'm riding with. That's yeah, I don't see anybody as competition right now. That's real. So, but how, how does it make you feel? You seeing your peers getting ripped off by record label company, and they just, you know, it's heartbreaking. But it's is it is it bittersweet? It's bittersweet because they're gonna realize it, and then, and obviously the next generation is gonna pick up on the mistakes of obviously our generation of artists. Uh, assuming the money doesn't get to them first, that money is very tempting. That money, the the success, the fame, obviously everything that comes with all of that, that get it gets very tempting, but hopefully they'll realize that, okay, I can, if I can put the preservation first before the, before the, the spoils of, of the decision, I should be okay. More and more people hopefully will be able to do that. But that, it, for me, it's, I feel bad, but I'm very, like I said, I'm very hopeful about it. That's real. That's real. So what do you think of one hit wonders and where they just, you know say one year they make a hot song and then the two or three years later from you're like, where they at? Fetty Wap, yeah. Um, how do I feel about Fetty Wap? I feel bad. Like, I don't like the fact that I only know him for like one or two songs at most. Yeah, he still makes music, but his only his core fans, uh, you know, appreciate his music. Um, his The opposite of Fetty Wap would be Drake. Drake can't stop making a hit. Like, I feel like if he coughs, he's, that's a hit. Oh, he coughed, that's that's another hit from Drake. Yeah. So when I, when I look at the, I, I usually just compare those two whenever I think of even myself as a one hit wonder. I still make, you know, consistent music. I still make, you know, I still make music that everyone will always be able to get behind. Sometimes it's a case of, you know, you just had that one hit and then you kind of fell off at least from a worldly standpoint. But as long, I feel like as long as you're consistent with how, with how your music is created, all that, all of the things that go into the process, you should, uh, one hit wonder shouldn't be, you know, one hit wonder shouldn't be your destination. 
That's real. That's real. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Liquor Talk. If you don't know, now you know. Go ahead, subscribe if you have done so already. Go ahead, leave us feedback and rate us five stars. You know what I'm Give us them five stars if you haven't done so already. Now, in the theme of comeback season, tell me a time you had to overcome something, something that had you down and it. You just, it was defeating you, but you came back on it. Tell me about a time you had to pull a major comeback. This was 2013, between 2013 and the end of 2014. I, I had already given up music um, on, behalf of, on behalf of love. And these, what, what I mentioned earlier about taking a man and his responsibility, this, is also, this would also be described as his purpose. When you take a man's purpose, you're killing him slowly. I was kind of dying slowly. Um, it hurt because I was trying to figure out what else should I, what else could I be doing with my life? What else should I do? Oh, I'm really good at working on cars. Let me work on cars. I'm not trying to do this every day. Oh, I can, um, I can try to become like a major HR guy. Oh, this is not where I want to be. And I'm watching myself not have the confidence I need to do whatever I quote unquote want to do, which is supposed to be better quote unquote than music. Then music came back and that itself was a persevering moment. But that down and out time, right before I decided to start investing back in my equipment, it was, it, it was, it was, really, it was really tough. And I saw, if you, if you ever play fighting games, you know, I, had that, I had that much life and that other person had you know, that much life. And I, and I was able to you know, kind of come back, whip that ass and, and, and win the round by the end of it. So it was, yeah, I remember how tough that was. It was tough. That's real because the reason I ask because the reason I say it's comeback season because it's like everybody has just been feeling like that we that last little bit of energy and 2020 mm-hmm. just got a lot. But now in these last two months, I feel like anything is possible. And I'm like, I really want people to understand. If I had to tell myself, it's like it's comeback season. It's go time. We can't can't let it. It ain't over yet. It ain't over till it's over. You know what I'm uh, saying? The bell didn't ring yet. The bell has not tolled. The bell has not told yet, you know what I'm saying? Now, what's something about the music industry you wish you would have known before you got started? Jeez, so I haven't really thought about that. What What do I wish I, I wish, I wish I knew, no. It's more introspective than it is like something I could have learned from the music industry itself. I wish, ah, I wish I knew about music theory. I wish I actually knew what it, the value of playing an instrument and understanding music theory. If I knew that, that would have got me, a, it would have built my confidence, I will say. It would have built my confidence. And if I had great confidence, then I would have been able to ask better questions, persevere through times when I thought I wasn't good enough for the music, which is subsequently what made me quit in 2012, um, one of the reasons anyway. And so, yeah, yeah, if I had music theory, I wish I knew the value of music theory. That's real. So where is your favorite place to perform uh, at places you performed so far? I had a spot called Apache Cafe in Atlanta. Um, I have a street performance that I thought I would be able to get done tomorrow, but I did some testing of the equipment and the equipment failed. And so I have to figure out, I have to recalibrate how I'm going to do this street performance. But um, there's a street performance tomorrow. It's very, usually those kinds of settings are very intimate. Anything where I'm able to really connect with the audience is my kind of scene for me. Apache Cafe, um, building a rapport with the curators of those weeks, those subsequent weeks that I was performing. And it caused like a kind of building, a, a building of rapport with even the crowd that was there that night. So Apache Cafe and street performances. That's real. Now on the flip side, where's somewhere that you performed and you only did it one time you like, 
never again will I perform there. It's a place where you see that nobody really cares about what you do. Like you can feel the energy in the room or at least lack thereof. And nobody really cares that you're here to perform. Nobody cares that you're an artist. Nobody's really bothering. Okay, yeah, it's just another, just another rapper. Um, I, especially when I get, when I get labeled that way, it, it like bothers me. I don't really try to like overcorrect people. I just, okay, you think I'm just another rapper. I get on stage, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. I do that. I do my little stunt and then I go on with the show. And by the end of it, you see everybody's eyes like, yo, what did he just do? So, yeah. That's real. That's real. Ladies and gentlemen, pull that look up. You know what I'm saying? This is liquor talk. So do you have any upcoming shows you got you planning for besides the one you just mentioned? Uh, none, actually. None that, I'm, that I've been made aware of. Usually it'll be the curators that'll kind of hit me up. And um, because of the demand of the 15, I haven't been able to properly schedule um, at least live shows like I, like I had been in years past. So that's right. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm booking around. I'm, I'm, excuse me, I'm looking around and I'll be booking up very soon. Mm -hmm. So what are you looking forward to most for 2021 when it comes to your career? That blow up. What's going to happen is um, I've already scheduled a deadline by the mid to end of 21. The half, the half of this nation or half of any one nation should know exactly who I am. I would like to be a household name within a half a nation um, by the end of 21. And that's, I mean, I don't wanna, I don't wanna be arrogant about it, but because of the marketing strategies I have planned, uh, you know, it's almost like building my, I've built my armory and pretty soon the guns are gonna be coming out, guns are blazing. And uh, again, half of any one nation is going to know who I am by the end of 21. Now, of all the songs you've uh, made so far, what's your favorite song to perform when you're on stage or when you're on tour? And so I just finished a, uh, a tour. I just finished a, well, I guess technically a tour. I just finished a performance um, that kind of round, not rounded out. This is going to, tomorrow's performance rounds out the tour. You'll have to excuse me. I'll go on a tangent. But um, it's a song, two songs. It's a song called Feeling of Bliss. And it goes into um, the, I call it the people's song, Evil Eye. This song, Feeling of Bliss, it, it, it encompasses who I am, as both songs, as normal, normally all my songs do. This song transitions fluidly into Evil Eye. It's an interesting transition because I have basically like a guy, like a Houston, uh, like a NASA base, counting me down five, four, three, two, one, and then it goes into uh, to the Evil Eye song. That's probably so far, now that I've done it, it's actually my favorite song to perform there. That's real. That's real. Now, shifting gears now, since we are in the month of November, what is something where you're, you're thankful for? Because it is the month of Thanksgiving. So what is something you're thankful for? I am thankful for my talent growth, my talent growth that took place all summer from wait for it, May 18th, all the way till even now, even now, I still see myself improving. Just, it, you know how if you notice in class, if you start off with like a 53, it's easy to bring that to an 80, but it's real hard to go from 80 to 81 to 82 to 85. You know what I mean? You have to keep bringing in 100. You have to keep bringing in 100. And I'm so I finally reached that plateau where I'm at like 96. And I'm like, it's impossible to get to 97 or it's going to take a lot to get to 97, but I'm making slow little climbs. I would say maybe I'm at 90 and slow little climb when I knew 92 with each song, I'm like climbing up that one half a percent. And so, yeah, growth is what I'm most thankful for my growth as a person and as an artist. That's real. That's real. Now, you know what comes next after after um, Thanksgiving comes Christmas. So if you had to ask for a Christmas gift, what would you want? 
let's see. Um, it, it's, it's a little complex. It's on the business side. It might not get you much views, but it would be an investment in my marketing, in the marketing of my career. It would be an investment uh -huh. in my career. Um, you, I, you can't wrap that in a, in a bow, though. You, you, can, you, can like, you can send it as a guild. Like, you, you can't wrap that, but it's something that is very valuable to me. It's very valuable. That's really you're thinking long term, you know. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. That's that's long term, you know what I'm saying? Now, getting back to the industry, how do you think the internet has affected the music industry? <laughs> it helped <laughs> a lot. As a matter of fact, the saturation that you're seeing is because of the internet. Everybody in this sister, while they are making music, they're also teaching it. They're turning them right around and teaching the stuff. So if you're an artist, if you're someone that wants to be an artist. All you gotta do is jump on YouTube University. That's how I learned a lot of what I know now. And um, I did end up, you know, signing up with more extensive, uh, I guess I could say classes that I've taken. But for the most part, yeah, the internet has helped exponentially. And then of course, as far as marketing goes, that's where you have obviously one of the plans I employ. You got your TikTok, you got your Instagram. Instagram has reels now. Um, you have so many different ways. Of course, YouTube, YouTube being my, one of my favorite platforms outside of Facebook. It's, it's one of those things where it's just, it's impossible. It, quite frankly, it would be impossible for a lot of artists to get where they are without the internet. That's real, that's real. Now, where are some places you haven't performed at that you would just love to perform at? Madison Square Garden, that's actually my dream place. I need my fire. I saw Kevin Hart's um, performance. Uh, I can't remember what the name of it was, but he, he had the fire, he had the all black suit and he was doing, you know, he's doing his set and everything like that. I want the fire. I want, I want like there's, I, I know that I love Avengers, right? So I have a stunt that I do where I say, um, where I say obviously the Thanos line, when I snap my fingers, lights are gonna explode around the crowd and the whole lights are gonna go out, you're gonna have your spotlight and then you're gonna have me champion of the excellence. And so, yeah, that's one of my, that's my dream performance as well as dream venue, Madison Square Garden. Wow. He got this thing all planned out. Madison Square Garden, the mecca of basketball. Hey. So why, <laughs> why Madison Square Garden? Why New York? Obviously hometown. I got my first, I'm a huge, I was a huge, well was, I was a huge wrestling fan growing up. And my first ever event was at Madison Square Garden. It was called Survivor Series. They were doing an event called the Elimination Chamber. This was 2002, if I'm not mistaken. And Brock Lesnar, big show, everybody's in there. You had, you had the actual Elimination Chamber match. The, the, the rush, the exhilaration, like it's, like there was not, there's nothing that still to this day competes with that moment outside of going to the circus with my dad. And I think even that was at Madison Square Garden. So Madison Square Garden is like, quite frankly, the only arena that I've really been to like that outside of maybe, like I think I went to a Buffalo Bills game, but I mean, that's, that's not quite, it didn't have the same half the energy that, that Madison Square Garden going to that wrestling event had. So, yeah. yeah. I was about to say, was it a Knicks game? Because, you know, the Knicks have, you know, I believe it or not, I've never actually been to a basketball game. Yo, a lot of the people are going to click off right here. Like, yo, he never been to a basketball game and he's a rapper? Click. I've watched a thousand basketball games, but I've never been to a basketball game live. So I think I want to save an experience like that for maybe my significant other, like my the future of my significant other, something I can share with that person um, that'll, that, you know, that'll kind of cement the, the, the union that we have. So are you going to ask them to marry you at a basketball game? Because I... I I would like to. 
I was scrolling through the reels on Instagram and I saw that the little proposals at the basketball games. Right. Y'all, like, oh, that is so sweet. They they pull these little gimmicks to ask them to marry them. I said, Oh, y'all so right. Sweet. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously a beautiful gesture. Um, in this in, in that scenario, though, if I'm doing it, that means we've probably this is probably like we probably make it a regular thing. Maybe we have a season pass or something like that. And yeah, in that regard, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind at all. Yeah. It would be pretty, it would be pretty cool to do so that. What team would you get season tickets to if somebody was just to give you season tickets to any team? I have no idea. I don't know yet. I, I mean, obviously, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm a LeBron James fan, but um, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. As far as his, as far as like his 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 athletic ability, but I mean, I guess obviously, if I'm living, if if I'm somehow living in New York, then obviously I would get Knicks Knicks season pass. Uh, Even Knicks though the pass. Brooklyn Nets are right across the. street. Right. And then the Brooklyn Nets. I keep forgetting about. It. I keep thinking they're still in New Jersey. Um, the Brooklyn Nets as well. It would be between those two, quite frankly, if I'm living there. It would pretty much be wherever I'm living at the time, assuming the team doesn't completely suck. Yeah. Yeah, like the Knicks. <laughs> well, yeah. As I said, I gotta live there to get their season pass. <laughs> yeah, but I know you would have to see LeBron get his fourth ring, though. Yeah, uh, uh, it was it was interesting because it's like okay. With all the talk about him versus Jordan, Jordan just wasn't. Look, everybody had the same 24 hours. LeBron James luckily was able to create more of those 24 hours, if you know what I mean, when I'm, if you see what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. He had more appearances, he had more time to make appearances. And in those appearances, he's obviously taken away as many rings as he had. And so. You know, some people. I think I'm. If I'm not mistaken, Jordan does he have six rings? Am I? Am I? Yeah, throwing Jordan them? got six. Okay, Jordan has six rings. LeBron has four. LeBron may have showed up more times. So that's what I guess that primarily is where the argument is. Jordan has done more with less time. LeBron has you know made it to the dance more times than Jordan. So exactly, it's, it's a tough. It's a tough. I mean, I'm happy for him. I'm like, all right, look. If you really want to shut everybody up, go ahead and do this two more times in the next two years, and you're done. Anything you do after that, no one can argue. No one should argue. Yeah, I, I feel like they both go to in the in the right time frames. You know what I'm saying? Because this generation, they gonna say LeBron's the goat. The generation before that is gonna be like Kobe was the goat. You know what I'm right. saying? And then the generation before that, when we come in, we like Jordan's goat because right. Jordan was six and zero when he got to the dance. Right, you know right. <laughs> Jordan was undefeated when he got there. I know the first couple times, but you gotta understand. The 80s was tough, you know what I'm saying? That was, and and that's the next thing too. People are going to throw that in there. Like uh, the people who throw that argument into the hat that it was a tougher time. You had guys like Robin. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of a guy by the name of D. He was on the Pistons. And all the fights that they've had and all the roughness that they did on the yes. court, it's not half as rough. Now you got dudes that like, I don't want that physical contact. Let me just shoot from way in the back. You know, guys like Curry and oh, everybody shooting and everything like that. Right, you get barely touched. Oh, oh my hand! Oh, you think you broke it? You broke it, like you know that stuff. I actually, I kind of like watching that stuff. It's kind of hilarious. It, it's funny now, but it's just it's like the when you think about how they played in the '80s, it's like how do you you know what I mean? Like, there's only so many comparisons you can make. It's like the '80s. It was about to be a fight and a basketball game. Right, exactly. Um, a like, wrestling match and uh, um, and a basketball game at the same time. So 
I saw a boxing match and we thought they yeah, they pissed <laughs> up by the fight. It's like right. it was crazy back in the 80s. And all that, and you and you don't get even get ejected from the game. Right, exactly. It, it was it was just, you know, they wanted that game, they wanted that game to go on. They wanted that game to go on. You'd have to literally come away with like a broken leg, literally severed leg hanging off like this in order for them to say, All right, go ahead, you can leave now. Are you sure you need to leave? Can you just hobble around? No, all right, go ahead. Nah, I can't just can't just chill out on a three-point line. We ain't gonna throw it to you or nothing. Right. <laughs> so at the end of the day, man, what can people get from listening to your music? again going back to that motivation that elevation um that 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 desire that that value valuing their purpose again like like no no guy doesn't seems today that guys don't like don't know how to or don't value their purpose got to value your purpose everything falls into line the only issue that you're going to see with that is a lot of people are going to come at you and try to take what you have be it take your smile take your energy take your time they're gonna try to take those things from you and you, your purpose is gonna allow you to persevere almost more than you doing it itself. Your desire to do it comes from your sense, your sense of purpose. That's so. real. Now, why should people go ahead and subscribe and tune into your music on the regular? On the regular, did I mean the the music is bouncy? I mean, hey, it's stuff you can cling to. You can cling to this stuff. Like you literally clean in the house, and my music is playing. It's workout music as well. That's another big one. A lot of songs have very high energy where you can do where if you're at the gym, you're able to work out to it. Oh yes, yeah, definitely working out to my music. That's real. That's real. Now, what do you want Erica have in store for the people on the What the Hell You Doing podcast? We've got uh, guests coming up. We've got our own um, solo episodes that are going to be, uh, I think we're, I know in our second season, we're going to be definitely diving deep and starting to talk about very serious topics. I know a lot of what we plan on talking about is going to um, is gonna really take place after the, after the election and everything like that, just, just for scheduling, not necessarily because of the election. And I would love to see how what we already plan on talking about evolves based on the results of the election. So that's going to yes, be yes. exciting. Yes, it's like the only reason why I didn't mention the election because I'm about tired of hearing about it. I'm about tired of talking right. about it. I'm just like, you know what? I, I got to the point of, I don't give a damn who's going to be office. I'm going to make shit happen. That's that's just how right. I Exactly. They don't, unless, they, I mean, unless whoever gets into office literally can have, will mandate that people come right to your door and stop you from making your life happen. I, I mean, my life still happens. So. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what people don't realize. It's like, oh my goodness, it's going to be into the world. You know what? We survived four years of four years of Trump. You know what I'm saying? We still here. You know what right. I'm saying? Not that I want four more years of him because the man's a known racist, but it's like, we gonna be all right. That's that's the main thing I want people to get. They we gonna we gonna be all right no matter who in office. You just gotta get wake your ass up and go get it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it might exactly. be more challenging, but you just have to go get it. I wouldn't use anybody. I don't care about anybody's policies at this point. Um, I my goal, even in my music, I talk about it. It's not like you can't make any excuses. Like no matter what you go through, even if like the blatant racism is right there in your face, you still gotta power through it. Sorry, it's just a reality of our skin tone and how things have gone. Are we trying to change reality or are we trying to make better, make use and make best of the situation we're in, so. That's real, that's real. We gotta do that, you know what I'm saying? It's like, we can't be looking at the past, we just gotta look forward to the future, you know what I'm saying? Cause exactly. we have more access to things than our, our ancestors and stuff, so. A lot more. A lot more, but I do appreciate you for coming back on Look and Talk, man. I do appreciate it, man. It's like, 
It's been fun to have you on. I'm looking now. If y'all, you and Erica need me to hop on, you y'all gotta let me know. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I can't picture. I mean, I have to obviously consult with her about when when we're gonna have things going on. Uh, I actually have to create a couple more clips of the one we actually did together. So be on the lookout for that, as well as um, when we. What I want to see, for the most part, is that I want to see us come back again, and I want to see all of us have done better than what we did before, all right? So right now, I don't have a crazy fan base. By the time I get back on Liquor Talk, I'm gonna tell you about this time this shorty was throwing panties at me. I'm gonna tell you about this time this dude tried to fight me because he thought I was taking this girl. Like, I wanna be able to come back and have actual amazing stories based on the career growth and career path that I had. I want her to be able to come back and tell you about all the people that keeps talking talking about how amazing the podcast was, all that stuff. So I'm looking forward to it. Forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to it, man. We're gonna do this damn thing. Uh, last time, I do want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It was a blessing. Pleasure, you know what I'm saying? I appreciate it. I do want to thank you at home for watching this and listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts at. Thank you for listening to us and thank you for watching this on YouTube. I'm your man Victor. Until next time, we out this thing. Deuces.